coach, I'm ready to play fantasy. I know I turned two in a day, but the lace isn't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The X flipping whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, what it do? Hey everybody, welcome back to the Turn 2 Podcast. We are here doing our second base breakdown show. I'm your host, Matt Williams. You can find me on Twitter at M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-M-S. Joining us on the show is Mr. Andy Singleton, Mr. People Pens himself. What is up? What's up? People's Pens. I don't understand. I I screw that up all the time. You're not alone, though. Everybody does. I don't get it, but whatever. It's all good. It's uh, a nickname. I'm thinking like bullpen, and then like, I don't know. I screw it up. I I called Terry Bridgewater or Teddy Bridgewater, Terry Bridgewater for like the entire season of football, so. It's it's fine. I think Laura Michaels was the only one that actually uh, got it right most of the time, but uh, it's all fine. It's all well and good. I'm ready. Let's go. Second base, the Keystone. This was my position when I was playing. So. Nice. I played. I played third base and pitcher. So we'll get to me eventually. And Mr. John L. Mr. MLB Moving Averages is here as well. Hello. What's up, guys? I man, it's so great. We're getting closer and closer to uh, baseball season like i'm i'm feeling it you know all the action's picking up the podcast are picking up i'm ready yeah the trucks have left the stadiums in the north and they're heading to florida yes. or arizona i guess you know if you're out west <laughs> uh so yeah second base is interesting that's it's um it's pretty deep is this the deepest position or is it shortstop i don't know a lot of people love shortstop too but there's like a ton of value here depending on how you rank it obviously there's some people that are eligible at second base some places not eligible in others uh do you think that uh, it's shortstop or second base, guys? I personally think shortstop just by a hair, but second base is pretty deep too. And you know, getting into that rankings, uh, I'll talk a little bit more in depth about it. But I'm trying to do my rankings now, at least at this stage, as far as just who's the projected starter. So you know, I'm looking just solely at second baseman. I'm not looking at you know uh, guys that are eligible at second base. So. I'm not going to be discussing Gleyber Torres as an example on this list because as far as I know, uh, DJ LeMahieu is, is projected as the Yankee starter. So that's just uh, one little example. But we'll get into that in a little bit. But I, I would say shortstop just by a hair, though. Okay. I, I'm including Torres in my tiers only because, uh, like, Andy makes a good point. He's, he's ranking them by uh, how they are actually going to play. I'm uh, tearing them off as how they are eligible for fantasy. Uh, the thing about second base, if you're looking, you know, we always look at the NFBC ADP is interesting, is that every draft you're going to go into is going to be very different. So the ADP here is actually semi-useless because uh, the max pick for the top like five or six guys is kind of around the same. And the min pick for like players like three through six is, is all around the same as well. So, and you can even throw a couple more guys in there that could sneak in. So it could really go in any order. Um, so starting off, here's my tier one, and then we'll go to the uh, NFBC ADP. Most people that, according to everything I've seen, have Jose Altuve still as tier one only guy in it. I highly disagree with that. Uh, in my tier one, I have a group of four. I have Jose Altuve, Kettle Marte, Ozzy Albies, and Keston Hira, uh, all for various reasons. I think that there's other people that 
could conceivably be safer. Um, but I think these are the guys that, in my opinion, have that uh, number one second base upside that I think they have a reasonable chance of delivering. Uh, before we get into the ADP, uh, where would you guys, if you were going to tear off like that top tier, uh, where would you draw your line? Because I know I'm probably out on a limb by throwing these four together. I don't think you are. Those are my top four exactly at second base. Uh, I, I wouldn't put any one of them in a tier above the others. I think they're all, you know, depends on what you're looking for. I think Marte scares me the most just because, I, I mean, you're asking him to repeat his career highs, which is always something that, you know, makes me a little cautious. Is he going to become even better than what we saw last year? I don't know. So you're, you're setting the bar really high to draft him where he's currently going, whereas a guy like Albies, I love Ozzy Albies. I've loved him, you know, for the last five years since, you know, we were talking this kid up as a 17-year-old prospect. Uh, I don't think he's even scratched the surface of what he's going to be. And uh, I know people will say he's streaky and, you know, he, he doesn't give you that consistency you want. But, I mean, the kid's still just 23, so let him put it all together. I mean, this is a group of young guys when you look at Hayura, who's also 23, uh, you know, Marte in that group as well. So uh, it, it's Marte's a little older now. But, uh, I, you know, these these are, I don't think you could go wrong with any one of those four, but I'm – throwing all my darts at Albies if I had a choice. I actually agree with you on Marte. I, well, I should say I used to agree with you on how I was more skeptical. I've definitely, if I have to rank skepticism, he's still my fourth in that group. But uh, the more I compared him and Escobar, Eduardo Escobar, who we'll get to later in the show, uh, they both had huge breakout years. But when you look closely, there's a lot to like about what Kettle did. Obviously, it was a one-year sample size. You want to see it again. But uh, if you're looking for repeatable metrics, uh, it looks pretty good for Marte and not so much for Escobar. Uh, what do you think, John? Man, the top really – I think the top of the, the tiers here is as close as the you know, NFBC ADP has them. And I think uh, your mention of the min and max is really something you want to look at. You know, the ADP you know, is really just a tool. And the min and the max is it might be more valuable in a lot of ways. And when you look exactly at that, they're – they're pretty much all the same. I have found I'm not really shopping for a second baseman at this point because of the depth that we were referencing before. And so when I end up with a bunch of different talents that are pretty similar, I never feel the pressure to need one. You know, and I'm probably stepping back into the next tier um, for guys. I mean, you know, everyone has to rank their own and he's going to do it differently than anyone else. And that's what you should do. But, you know, I like to rank them by the availability and the eligibility because that's how we play. So whether or not I agree with it is not really my decision to make. So there's a lot of guys that kind of have multiple eligibility, which I really love. Maybe I overvalue, but I do love it because fantasy baseball is a war of attrition. So, you know, I agree with your ranks, I guess, you know, they're all kind of close. They're all really good. I agree with Marte as a couple red flags, but I think he's going to be great. I think moving the other Marte, stalling Marte, to Arizona opens the door for Kettle to play second base regularly, which might help out his back, which also might translate into more steals, which obviously helps out his total value. So there's some moving pieces there. He already has some red flags for me, but if I really had to choose, I'm 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 with Andy again. Give me Ozzy Albies. Can I, can I just clarify though, real quick? So yep. in my rank is. And I'm not putting guys that have multi-eligibility. I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying 
positionally. So when you look at second base, it's just going to be second baseman. So you're not going to see Whit Merrifield in there because he's going to start the year as a center fielder. You're not going to see Cody Ballinger in the first base rankings because he's going to start the year in the outfield for the Dodgers. Uh, that doesn't mean overall they're not going to be where I think they should be appropriately ranked or that I would, you know, take somebody over them because of that. Uh, so it, it, it's all league dependent. I'm just trying to, for my own mind, condense and compress everything into just what that position should be representing from a real life world. And then in the overall ranks, or, or if you just looked at hitters, uh, guys will be sorted, uh, you know, to, to adjust for, for those, those eligibility issues or, or pluses. And going back to John's point, I actually do shop in this aisle in drafts, but it, it's it's um it's mainly due to how many people drop. We'll get into the fact that the four people I just put in tier one are not the first or second second baseman eligible player being taken in NFPC drafts. There's two people being taken in front of my entire tier one. Uh, but uh, you know, depending on your draft, some of these guys fall. If they fall late, uh, I that's why I find myself getting a lot of Hera. Uh, because there's you know red flags here or there, I, I find myself getting him when he falls deeper into the draft, and that happens. So um, I, if they if they fall beneath where I think they should, like any player really, I mean you do that, you can you know throw that uh, that wisdom to anything in a draft. But uh, I, I do end up with uh, a few shares of these guys. Uh, NFBC, their number one second baseman at the moment, second base eligible player is Glaber Torres, going at 29. Um, which, and then Jonathan Villar at 35. Jose Altuve, by the way, is going at like 37. Albie's 38, Kettle Marte 43, and then Hira around 44. So that is your ADP at the moment. Glaber Torres, so why don't we go ahead and talk about him? I, you know, you're being a, you guys are Yankee fans, so you got a, a really good, uh, a really good eye for what to expect from Torres. Um, to draft him at number one, I guess I have him in my, I should say here, might as well for context, tier two. My tier two is Glaber, Torres, Jonathan Villar, DJ LeMayhew, and Whit Merrifield, which I know that's a nightmare tier to discuss for you, Andy, because I don't know if any of those guys would even crack your rankings due to uh, eligibility. But um, what do you guys think of like, uh, you know, guys like uh, Torres and Villar going one, two in NFBC? I'm going to let John jump in with this one first. Well, listen, they're, they're both awesome players. I think if we didn't have this, you know, rush for stolen bases. I don't think you'd see Villar there. I mean, you know, he's got stats there, but the people are going to chase the possibility of getting 40 steals, which totally change your outcome in the standings and Roto Leagues particularly. So I think Villar's draft position depends on your strategy for stolen bases particularly. I love Gleyber Torres. I watch him every day, so I'm trying to be careful of the bias. Listen, he's an excellent, excellent young player, and I still think there's a ways to go in his development. I would have to admit, though, I've been thrown off a bit as I see other analysts really break down, man, just what he did against the Orioles and then everyone else. It seems like like a really, really, really stark contrast. It's something that's worth looking into that I have a little bit. And I, I think he's just going a little too high for me. You know, again, the depth of position and how I'm team building, I find I'm always choosing like a top-tier impact pitcher over Gleyber Torres. You know, and, and and I guess that's just me, but I really don't mean to knock the skill set. There's a ton to like here. I I love Torres, and like John, I'm a Yankee fan, so I don't know how much of that is just the blinders being on. Uh, listen, the, the guy is clutch. He's he's been a gamer. Uh, you know, he does most of his damage against Baltimore. Has been well documented. He gets to play them another 18, 19 times a season. You know, bar and hell. So uh, he's still gonna have. A lot going for him. Um, 
VR scares me a little. I love him as a player. Uh, you know, I, I've always been a fan of what he can potentially bring. I, I was shocked to see the 62 stolen bases a couple years ago. Um, I don't think he's that, but 40 bags last year, you know, 20, uh, two years before that, uh, 35 the year, you know, uh, in 2018. I mean, this guy's going to give you some speed. He's still just 28. So I, I, it's just, I, I didn't like the power profile prior to all the hype surrounding him. I like it even less in Miami. Um, I do like the multi-positional flexibility he provides, but um, if you're just drafting him for steals, I, I think you're paying too much of a price because uh, he's not gonna he's not gonna hurt your average, but he's not gonna necessarily help it either. And I, I think it. I think it's fool's gold if he's chasing that power. Uh, so if you're just chasing the steals, I, th I think you're you're overpaying uh, when you're looking at a guy like Jonathan VR. Yeah, I'm going back to Glaber for a minute. I, I love him too. Um, this is kind of why I throw him in a tier two. I said I don't think he necessarily. I don't view him as being able to give you that still that second base one upside uh, only because last year he went near like 280, 40 home runs. I don't think he's that guy. Uh, home run to five ball ratio was a little elevated. Not that I think he's that far off. I think 270, maybe 30 plus, you know, maybe closer to 35. He can get there. Um, just a handful of stolen bases, which is totally fine. But I, I, you know, I think the other guys we talked about have the ability to kind of like exceed that and really, you know, give you value over where you're drafting him. Where if you're drafting Torres, you know, like I said, NFBC around 29, you kind of need him to hit last year or it's, or it's kind of a huge disappointment. Jonathan Villar, I wrote a thread on him recently. He changed his swing kind of um, when he went to Baltimore. I don't know if it was by design to take advantage of Camden Yards, but he was pulling the ball. He was really elevating it, and you know he still didn't have a really good hard hit percentage, but in Camden Yards, it doesn't matter. He did most of his damage at home, uh, which isn't much of a surprise, but he's obviously in Miami now where it's a notorious pitcher's park. They moved in the, the walls a little bit, not much, probably won't help him. Uh, and Don Mattingly's kind of been known for a guy who does not like to give people the green light too much. Uh, I, you know, I mean, you notice that, uh, you know, guys like D Gordon still obviously got the green light. So there's exceptions. If you're, you know, if you're the chosen one, you can go. So I would assume you're still going to expect those stolen bases out of Jonathan Villar, but everything else on offense would be a huge tick down. So yeah, if you're only searching for stolen bases, there's a heck of a lot cheaper ways to get it. You know, just touching back on Torres again, uh, you, you look at the major difference between his rookie year and last year, and that was, you know, pretty much the RBI, right? And the runs, he was up at 96 runs last year. The RBI were up to 90. Uh, th this was, to me, the batting average was similar. The home runs, okay, they spiked a little, but you're talking about a guy who's just going to be 23 this year, so you – expect that strength and that and that power to still be there the runs in the rbis comes from where he's in the in the order i mean you go back two years ago he was batting at the in the eighth and ninth spot predominantly whereas last year he moved up to three four five and it was more in the heart of that order so i think that's where you're going to see him again this year which means i think he can repeat on those other counter stats like the runs and the, the rbi you're not looking at him for stolen bases uh you know i would expect in this live ball era 30-plus home runs again. So you're looking at a 280 hitter with 100, 130. And to me, that kind of prices him fairly with where he's going. Yeah, and the, the other two guys uh, left in this tier said DJ LeMahieu in Merrifield, with Merrifield, obviously, uh, depending on where they're available in your league and where they're um, 
eligible. But uh, DG Lemihu, I don't know. He hit 327. I don't see that happening again. Uh, that's the main thing. It's one of those things where you're drafting him at ceiling. You really, you really need him to do that again. And I mean, his expected batting average last year was like 322. So there's not anything exactly fluky about it. Um, but the fact that we kind of never see him go quite that direction before. Again, he's in Yankee Stadium. He took advantage, full advantage of it. 26 home runs over a hundred runs in RBIs. It just seems like that was probably his career year. Um, so I'm fine. I just, he's being taken too early for me. I mean, I don't have a problem with him. He's just being taken too early. That is kind of the only knock on him. Anyone higher on LeMahieu than I would be. Yeah. It's gotta be me. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it's also, it, he's also range dependent, right? So I'm not saying, you know, push people out of the way to get this guy, but I, I think I'm feeling that way if we're towards the back end of his spread. So, you know, if you're looking at his min pick, which throughout the months has been at 60 or below, where I'm not going to go there. I don't think I want him as my fourth player. But where his max pick has been like in the high 80s and 90s, now as a sixth player, I think that's a totally different ballgame. That is certainly a a guy that I want. So for me, he's totally range dependent. And it's funny how every bit he slides – my you know desire for him burns more greatly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I I'm not sure. It, there's a little bit of a disconnect with me here, and I understand. Listen, buying career years. Listen, I get all of that. But this is well, well, this may go into context for where my confusion comes from. It's for someone who loves to break down hitters. This thing I can't quite quantify. And is this 349 Babbitt, which if you look at his past, he's he lives in that range, but he lived there at Coors Field, which is why a lot of people thought he'd take a huge hit coming to to New York. Uh, he, he's still at 349. I just don't see him staying there, even though he has done nothing but that. Again, it was a course field. I just, every time I, I do projections, I just got to assume that's probably going to come back a little more to earth, more like in the 320 range. I said, I, I don't think he's going to be bad. I still think he's a 300 hitter. I just don't think he's a 330 hitter. But again, that's just based on a, a raw assumption. Well, you know, give me give me the front end of that lineup anytime. And wh- where I was going with with buying the ceiling is I don't think you're buying. I don't, I just don't feel like you're buying the ceiling here, right? If the ceiling for this guy is a top five MVP candidate, which still sounds kind of weird coming off the tongue. You could see that translating. Like if I were to tell you a guy finishing the top five in MVP voting, and then the next year he's being overdrafted, I don't believe you'd think without looking that that ADP. Wow. I don't know if he's really can finish in the top 30. We don't need him to finish in the top 30. 90th, I mean, 90th pick, I don't see how he does not finish. This guy's a – he's a professional hitter. He, he – and he hits the ball really, really, really hard. You know, really hard. He has an elite stack. He has hard hit rate. It's over 47%. You know, that's up there with the big dogs. That just doesn't happen by accident. He was also in the top, like, 5 percentile, and balls hit over 95 miles an hour, over 240 of those. You know, it's 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 – a lot of it is there for me. You know, we don't need a ton of power. Maybe he doesn't repeat that. Maybe he does because of the box he plays in. But I think all the counting stats are there. And if anything, if they could improve, the table is set for them to improve because the couple of bats behind him, Judge is fully healthy. Stanton is fully healthy. I mean, could you get any better much of, of support system there? The set Give table me- is definitely a huge plus, obviously. I mean, yeah, about, I mean does I the 50% like, ground, like, I mean, as far as the power goes? The ceiling. You know, I, maybe the industry is forced. I think the market may be forced to that. You know, gun to my head, 60 may be a great spot for him. But once we're past 80, I think you got to take Mayhew, especially if you're talking draft champions or leagues that have minimal or no in-season management or player replacements. He plays all these different positions. He's at the top of perhaps, if not, you know, 
disputedly the best art, you know, lineup in the league. So I, I, I'm not sure about this buying for the ceiling thing. So I just don't want people to be too weary of it. There's a lot there, like. I wouldn't say buying for the ceiling, but I would say he has other things not in his control that will factor into what his ultimate output is. Uh, this guy's a professional hitter. He's a 300 hitter. He hits the ball hard. Like you said, he plays all all, all over the infield. He's a, a locker room clubhouse kind of guy, but it, it's been very well talked up how the ball was just totally different last year. Pitchers were complaining, the seams, the stitching, everything like that. I think when we were just talking about Torres hitting 38 home runs, uh, you look at LeMahieu career high with, what was it, 24, um, 25 was it? Um, 26, sorry, I'm, I'm selling him short. Uh, I think last year's ball added probably in the range of 10 home runs to yeah. guys that were getting the at-bats. So if they do anything at all to adjust the ball, you're talking about a guy that's going to be back towards like 15 home runs, five stolen bases, the 300 average. Uh, I don't know if he gets those 100 RBI. I'm, you know, you're looking at a nice player uh, where he's going at 60. It depends what you're drafting him for. It depends on how you're viewing him. So I, I agree that you're kind of looking at that ceiling, and that's kind of what scares me a little. Uh you know, in the in the sixty-five to seventy range, mm, uh, you know, depends on what my first few picks were, uh, how I how I'm viewing them. There, uh, you start getting to 80, 90, like John was just saying, it's much more palatable. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I get, I'm going back to Babbitt. One thing I didn't mention was uh, the fact that he hit the Babbitt. He 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 notoriously has a high ground ball rate normally above 50 right right above yeah. 50 last year and yeah. that's another thing with like again the juice ball he hits a lot of line drives which is good but you know the juice ball that would help a little but you know i said i, I think i agree with you guys once it gets to a certain point in the draft uh he becomes a tremendous value and he kind of got a little bit of that stat, you know my newest favorite stat when he elevates he hits it really hard as well so it's not just you know there are ground ball guys that don't elevate it much. And then there are ground ball guys that when they elevate it, it's not hit hard. When the Mayhew elevates the ball, you know, it is at it's at a it's at a pretty elite level, you know, over 95 miles an hour, which is you know the benchmark for correlation in production uh as far as exit velocity goes, it's it's there, you know. So he's it you know he's fast enough, he's making up for someone on the floor. The guy also goes to all directions. I just I, I don't know like you said you want to know who's the high on him I guess I'm I'm the high guy in him here I'm here defending him but but also like I said not not definitely not at sixty I'm not going to fight you for him at sixty I will pass on him I don't think he's critical but I think he checks so many boxes and you know runs can be underscored and if there's a player in the league with a path to 125 runs this year I think it's him. Okay, um, one guy we just I skipped over as far as ADP goes anyway he's right here in this tier the last guy in my tier is Whit Merrifield he is actually going. Um, was it he's going right now pick like 55 so about 15 picks ahead of LeMahieu right after the Merrifield there's a little bit of a, a, a drop as far as ADP tiers go um what do you guys think of Merrifield I mean he's a guy that you know he's like boring good production right I mean he's gonna hit 300 he's gonna hit like 15 home runs he's gonna steal 20 bases which which is unfortunate because you were probably hoping to get more like 40 um last year but then obviously they brought in like all those incredibly speed guys which took away from him in that Royals lineup um, is that kind of what you're expecting this year? Just like that 315, 20, uh, line. I, you know, he just turned 31 a week ago. Uh, he's, his speed has been declining. Uh, you look at the last three years, 34, 45 and down to 20. Could he get back up to 30 this year? I'm not going to say no, but when you look at where he's being drafted, uh, I think I'd much rather, uh, 
I'd much rather take Jonathan VR, who we talked about, who's going actually about a full round after Merrifield at this point. Gives you that multi-positional flexibility. Gives I, I you, have Villar going around 35. Which, yeah, Villar's a bit earlier. Yeah, we got him Is about it? maybe 20, yeah. 20 picks before. All right, well, I'm looking at a different ADP then. I'm looking at uh, uh, the, the – uh, we have draft champions uh, January uh, to, to yeah. The last two weeks up. Also. I'll, I'll say I'm looking at Fantrax ADP right now, and it's got Merrifield at 55 and VR at 67.99. Yeah, I think they have more of a, a, a point system weighted because they do a lot of points at Fantrax. I think that would be the difference because I've noticed the big discrepancies are generally in stolen base guys. Well, it's also you know January 30th, so there's you know. <laughs> limited sample from the casual fans that are jumping in. So it depends on what audience we're talking to right now. Are we talking to the guys that have been drafting since, you know, uh, the World Series ended and, you know, November 3rd, they were already in mocks? Or are we talking to the guys who are just now starting? <laughs> well, that's to why say, we try to use the draft champion. Now, no offense to anyone listening who doesn't do NFBC. You don't have to. It's There's a whole conversation about it online. Uh, we only use this because there are people that are definitely all paying attention and that's why we kind of use that ADP as more of like an accurate representation of where you should probably be thinking. But I would also argue that there's a whole bunch of people listening that are probably just now saying, oh, it's about to be February. Pitchers and catchers are going to be reporting in two weeks. So let me start digging into fantasy baseball. And uh, I think some of these numbers will will shift a little and, and maybe we'll have some impact on how these shift a little. Uh, but from what I'm looking at, VR is going, like I said, 12 picks after Merrifield. And let's just say they were at the same ADP. I'd rather have a guy like VR than Merrifield just based on the age. Uh, I feel like you're getting a very similar player where I think VR has that potential for a little bit more pop, a little bit more power. I'm not giving up as much on the average. And, uh, you know, the speed is equal, if not still greater for VR. So uh, I think I'm passing on Merrifield this year just because of where you have to draft him. And again, I'm not trying to sell out and chase steals uh, if I'm buying. When you look at other players like Acuna, and, and I know he's you know number one overall player for me and, and many other people, uh, you're not just paying for the steals with that guy. You're paying for a full five, you know, uh, a five tool pr profile. So with Merrifield, I, I think you're talking, you're overpaying for something that I don't know that's necessarily going to give you what you want. Uh, if anything, Merrifield, just the the idea of drafting him. I'm not saying I would really, really gives me another reason not to draft Jose Altuve, which I understand his ceiling could be what it is. He was an MVP candidate, but I mean, Altuve is going to what? Bat around 300, give you 20 home runs, 10 stolen bases now at this point. He's not really running. I mean, Merrifield's not going to be that far off from that, and you can draft him way later. I'm not saying I draft either of them because right. of what you said about stolen bases, but it's just another reason why I'm definitely off of Altuve this year. Yeah, and that, that makes a lot of sense, and it's good sense. Um, I, I would total the home runs and the stolen bases and say both of them are going to give you in that 40 range. Uh, and then when you're looking at the average, I think Altuve's average could be slightly a tick better. seems like Altuve's been selling out for power the last couple of years, and that's kind of why the steals are down. The average is down. The, the, you know, the K rate is up a little. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think he's drastically affected. I don't think he was a hitter just – solely based on you know hearing garbage cans rattle it, 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 <laughs> he was actually did you see that report yesterday on the person who actually documented every time he heard him it was an astros fan he documented every time in the entire season he heard the trash can okay um and uh altuve was actually rather low on that list uh it was it was like bregman and springer were like really really high but uh yeah altuve actually wasn't that high on the list uh, i mean well, you know well, for what I it's worth 
Yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. I don't think he's a garbage can dependent hitter. So I still think he's a 300 guy, you know, in that 330 range. And to me, that's that's the upgrade on his GDH percentage was low, garbage dependent hitter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the next tier I have up here in tier three is it kind of a mini. You know, I don't want to over tier the group, but I, I kind of put these guys together. After uh, tier two, I have. Uh, together in a small group, Max Muncy, Jeff McNeil, and Mike Moustakis. Uh, there's there's some other interesting people after this that if Kevin Biggio could theoretically be up here, but there's like a ton of risk there because you look at his strikeout percentage. And Garrett Hampson, if he's guaranteed at bats for some reason, he takes a jump up. But for now, they're not in my tier. Uh, Max Muncy, you know, he's multi-position everywhere. He can hit 30-plus. He could maybe hit 40 home runs, to be honest. I'm not, I'm not saying he gets there. Jeff McNeil. He sold out for power a little bit in the second half, uh, and he said he was going to try to be more of a pull hitter or more of a power hitter, but uh, he's very smart and cerebral with how he goes about things. So are we going to see like the 320 hitter that we saw in the first half? Are we going to saw like the, you know, the 280 hitter who could possibly hit 30 home runs in the second half? I think it's maybe a mixture of the two, which is why he's a little later here. There's a lot of question marks there, but he could take a big leap. It wouldn't surprise me, but I think his floor is saving up. And Mike Moustakis in Cincinnati, I just love. I mean, him in Cincinnati, just that I he could lead the league in home runs. He really could. Uh, what do you guys think of uh, Tier 3? Is there anyone you don't think belongs here, or maybe I left anyone out? Well, incredibly, we're talking about three power kind of lefties here. Uh, I, I'm going to let John jump in because I know he's – leading the charge for the Jeff McNeil fan club. Uh, I only have one of these guys ranked in my second base because McNeil's of course going to be third base uh, to start the season and Muncie projecting to be at first. Uh, you know, I'm happy to talk about them, uh, but I know John has uh, at least block off your next 20 minutes because John's probably going <laughs> to not let any of us get in while he starts Hey, for context, for, for context for everyone, before John, John gets started, for uh, this is the NFBC ADP. Um, I was saying the uh, after everyone we already talked about, these actually are the next three in order: Muncie, McNeil, and Mustakis. Uh, Muncie going at seventy-five, uh, McNeil going around eighty-nine, and Mustakis right around one hundred. Take it away, John. I, I said three lefties, three M's on top of it, three lefties M's. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm sorry to disappoint, but I, I've been finding this has been a, a thing for me this year. Um, McNeil is on a list of players that, I mean, I successfully identified very late in drafts last year, namely like him, Escobar, and Kettle Marte were three guys who anchored all of my teams very late that now have jumped so far up rankings that uh, it might be an admitted blind spot, but I'm having trouble paying for these guys. Um, particularly McNeil, actually. Who listen? I actually, I really like McNeil. Um, I tend to like high average guys early on because then I feel like it helps me circle back for power. That's another story. But you know, if you if you really need average, McNeil here is is your guy, I think. But I have him third in this tier, particularly at the price. I think I might like Mustakis the best at an equal price given that he's the cheapest, I would put him first. Second, I've always been a big Muncie guy. I love the tool. I love the team context, uh, and I love the flexibility. So I would have to put him second. I have found I don't have a lot of ownership of him because uh, there seems to be a very high demand for him. You know, he's going – I'm finding he's going at the top end of his range more consistently than the other guys, which is similar to uh, LeMahieu. In fact, if you look at the min and max, they're almost identical – 
you know, LeMahieu's was 58, Muncie 57, LeMahieu 89, and Muncie 91. So people are viewing them pretty much exactly the same, you know, as far as value-wise. And I I need him almost similar to LeMahieu. I need him back towards 90. But if I'm back towards 90, it's not McNeil I'm going for. It's going to be LeMahieu, Muncie, or, or Moustakas. That's me. Great assault. I'm a huge Mets fan. Everyone knows that. I love Jeff McNeil this year. I think his price is actually fine. We talked about Merrifield and Altuve, which they're going to steal more bases, but McNeil's still going to give you like two handfuls of them, like maybe around 10. He has actually quit pretty quick. Um, I think that the possibility of him matching them for average and power is easy. Um, but I think the floor, I think his ceiling is higher, possibly in both categories, which is why he excites me for where he's going in the draft. I think that his ADP is an I like it. I think the risk where you're you're going with him is worth. I think the reward is worth the risk where Batting he's currently power. Going. Come on, batting average, yes, power. There's I don't. There's nothing to give. Well, I just compared him to Altuve and, and Merrifield. I mean, not- his barrel per PA is you know literally half of the other two guys. McNeil. You do have to uh, look at his second half though. It's two halves of the season. The first half it was all. It was all batting average. He was not even trying to go there. Look at his second half numbers. You'll t- you'll see a different story. He. Uh, he he was trying to do certain things like on like actually on purpose. So uh, and he made a comment in the offseason that he was going to try to do more of that while bringing back some batting average. So he's a smart hitter. It's tough to project him because of that. But um, if you're going to look at it as a whole season, you definitely should take um, the second half and break it down by itself. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see the power spike there. But and even if I were to give you that, then I have trouble getting to the ten stolen bases that you were talking about because I don't think we're going to get all of. That. I just think it's. It's too much to ask for all of it, right? We're going to have him maintain a plus 300 average, and he's going to go for more power, and he's going to give you more in the steel department. I, I just don't see all of it. And I, I, I'm not going to argue with the hit tool. The production is there. The guy's excellent. So I think what I'm getting at as we kind of vocalize all this is I think it's very category dependent here. I think if you have a need for batting average, the answer should clearly be McNeil. Where I would argue is if it's power, I, I don't think you could put him in the same power category as Muncie and certainly not Mustakis in the new. I, I, I said uh, Merrifield and Altuve, not Mustakis. Oh, and I'm sorry, that's my mistake. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's what. Oh, when we were talking about those three, that's what I heard. Oh no, I was I was using them as a comparison of those other guys. Yeah, no, no, no. Then then I, I'm gonna you know I retract and I went out. Yeah, I'm not crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I got you there. But uh, I think as far as the, uh, as far as the stolen bases, right real category. quick though, he, he did. He stole uh, like 17 stolen bases one year, 16 stolen bases one year, 15 stolen bases one year in the minors. The, the speed is there, um, and it's another thing where he tried. He's going to make it a point to try to do that, hitting a top of the Mets lineup. So it's. Um, I think it's definitely in the realm of possibility uh, for him to take a big step up there. I need a per year total on these steals because I'm noticing as I'm looking at the, you know, if you looked at a breakdown and it, it changes per step through their professional levels, I f- keep forgetting. I have to add them all together. So yeah, there's definitely some speed there. Like I said, I still going to stick with, I'm not sure if I see all three of those phases of his game, average speed and power all maxing out at the same time. But again, I, he is a hell of a player, you know, like very I said, hard to project, very hard. <laughs> Uh, what, what do you think, uh, Andy, <laughs> of those three guys? Of these three guys. I'm, or is there, you know, if there's anyone you thought that I, you know, we missed in the tier two who you think belongs up here that I haven't discussed yet. No, I, I like all, all three of these bats. I mean, they, they're kind of proven. Uh, I I don't know. I, I feel like the Muncie train is just going to, like, leave us 
sooner than we wanted to. I felt that way last year. I felt there was going to be some, re you know, regression, and and he, you know, stayed the course. Um, so, of the three, I would be least surprised to see if Muncie didn't live up to projections. Um, I don't think McNeil's are so astronomical. That's why I think you know he can maintain what what he did last year. Uh, and Mustakis, we kind of he's proven he's this is who he's going to be. And now he moves to that great ballpark. You know, looking at the lineup, though, I don't I. I want to love Cincinnati's lineup, but it really seems kind of uh, it, it 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 seems very conflicted. Um, I love Cast Castellanos's bat. I think this is going to be great for him as a move. But you know, Vado's definitely you know trailing off, and then you got a, a bunch of just like all or nothing bats in that lineup. Uh, you know, we got the import at, at the top. Uh, what is it? Uh, I, I, I'm not even sure how to. Shogo, Shogo Akiyama. Yeah, we got him at the top who's, you know, we don't know what we're going to have with that. You got the Punisher, Aquino, backing up Moustakis. Um, you know, Van Meter is, Moustakis is going to start at third while Suarez is rehabbing. Uh, Senzel, right. you know, what are you going to get out of him in that? So, uh, you know, this is this is not as great of a lineup as I think we want to believe it is. Uh, Did you have to, I, I was more. I was more excited about him going to Cincinnati, not for the lineup, but for the uh, ballpark. I, yeah, like, where his, his infield flies could leave the park. You know. <laughs> oh no, I get it, and that's what yeah. I'm saying. I, th I think of all these three guys that we're talking about, McNeil, Muncy, and Mustakas. I think Mustakas, I would probably feel the most comfortable with, and he's got the the most favorable ADP from a fantasy aspect as well. So he gives you some multiple uh, positions with, with second and third, and um, you know that ballpark is great for him. Uh, he's going to give you 30 plus homers. I don't think there's any doubt about that if he's playing a full season. Uh, so of all the people that I, I think, you know, I think Moustakas and McNeil are more aligned to be what we expect them to be with Moustakas being slightly more productive than McNeil for fantasy. Hey, Andy, Vegas seems to agree with you on uh, the Reds. You know, a lot of the over-under team win totals are coming out. Yeah. And uh, Cincinnati just got posted at 84. And you know, gut instinct for me when I looked, I thought that was a low, but you know, I hear you talk about it, and like I said, you know, Suarez going down even for a couple weeks doesn't help because you know he's a he's a big part of that. But yeah, eighty four is kind of a meek projection for a team that's they've made a bunch of additions, especially if you want to go back to you know mid last year and count Bauer in there. Yeah, I mean, but their their rotation is not really that deep. I mean, you got Wade Miley as your four and Descafani as your fifth. I do like that they brought in Jose De Leon, who's just kind of been bouncing around, bouncing around, bouncing around. Hasn't really. Well, got he's a shot. he was supposed to be something for Tampa Bay. I mean, this is going back a couple of years ago, more in your prospect wheelhouse. But I remember tracking De Leon for for quite a while. Yeah, he was supposed to be something with LA, and then he moves to Tampa Bay. It's just been injury prone, but you know that's somebody that maybe potentially could slide in to that rotation. But uh, yeah, I don't think eighty-four wins gets them to the playoffs. I think so. Vegas is always afraid to properly judge this division because year after year, it seems Cubs, Brewers, Reds, uh, Cardinals, anyone but the Pirates are kind of in it till the end, and they kind of feed off of each other, and it's kind of hard to determine from year to year who's going to get there. I think that maybe have a little bit to do with it. Um, I'm I'm also skeptical on the Reds, but I think just the whole division, if any of those four won, you know, not the Pirates, <laughs> uh, but any of the other ones, would that really shock you if any of them won this division in the end? Would it would it surprise anybody? No, nah, not at all. No. It's I wide mean, open. 
I, I just I thought I really liked the Reds a lot more than I do as I as I kind of peel it back. Maybe with Suarez in there, roster resource again, they're fallible as much as I love the work they do and look at them a hundred times a day. They have Votto batting second. I just can't. I mean, stop forcing it, the guys. You know, the guys on the on the tail end. Until he showed me something, I wouldn't let him bat in front of uh, you know, all the. Real power. He's having a real bitch of a time with breaking balls. He keeps getting fed more and more and more year over year over year, and he cannot hit them anymore. Um, and it's becoming a real problem. The scouting report is out uh, that Joey Votto's having issues. So that's something he's going to need to fix sooner than later. Sorry, I didn't mean to veer too much, but the Reds no, are up and they're a really interesting team because you're seeing them make all this noise in the offseason. You know, and you went, wow, you added this guy, you added that guy. And even back to the, you know, a year from now, I think it was last January when they brought in Gray. So you added Gray and Bauer to the rotation and, you know, a couple of the guys, Castellanos, if you get the guy that we saw in Chicago, I've seen people documenting his, his improvements at the plate, man, these are legitimate players, you know, so I could see them floating to the top easily. They might, they might beat that eight four by a few games. Yeah. This um, one thing with Muncie before we move on, I, I agree with Andy, how you could, you can just see where the, maybe the wheels could fall off for him, but, if you're going to just go with kind of value for value, we talked about why I couldn't get on board with Glaber being the number one second baseman because I'm not, you kind of need him to definitely do what he did. This is what he did. He batted 278 with 38 home runs, 96 uh, runs, and 90 RBIs, five stolen bases. Max Muncy had 251 with 35 home runs, 101 runs, 98 RBIs, four stolen bases. I mean, I'm not saying that I expect both of those stat lines to repeat this year. But it's it's guys like that that you can get much later that kind of like I don't see, you know, I mean, if could they both repeat that? Sure. Um, so that's why I'm not willing to kind of like overpay for a guy like Torres. So earlier I was saying I don't dislike him. It's just sometimes it comes down to a value thing. Uh, Muncy's being taken this late for a reason. There's skepticism to whether he can repeat those numbers, but he's still in a good lineup and he he's eligible, I think, at first, second, and third, if I'm not mistaken, in most leagues. So he's he's interesting enough, which is why he's not at the top tier, but he's in here in this kind of interesting tier three. Um, tier four, a uh, little bigger group. Uh, I got uh, Eduardo, in no particular order, actually. Eduardo Escobar, uh, Kevin Biggio, who I mentioned, uh, wouldn't shock me to have him jump up to even tier two. Uh, his His... I've never seen anything as crazy as his incredibly high strikeout percentage and walk percentage. And I kind of dug through to see how can that possibly be? If you're constantly striking out, how can you walk so much? And it's actually uh, called strikes, which if you think about it, makes a ton of sense. The guy takes so many pitches. So he's walking and he's taking called third strikes, like insane amount. But he has an incredible uh, talent and, you know, who knows what to expect from him this year. But he's interesting. Kevin Biggio, Tommy Edmond, who if he works his way into every day at bats, who knows what they're going to do in St. Louis at this point. But he's interesting. Gavin Lux and Garrett Hampson. Um, what do you guys think of that group? It, uh, Tommy Edmond, I think, is projected by CBS to win the MVP this year. Just on, I think Tommy Edmond is based on his CVS projections should should be the MVP. What, what, are, what are his CVS projections? I don't know. They're ridiculous. They're ridiculous. <laughs> He's like a top ten player on CBS, I believe. I mean, I like him. I'm but... exaggerating a little, but uh, yeah, Kevin Biggio is very interesting. Um, you, you love the pedigree. You, you know, you love what this Blue Jays team is going to be. I still think we're about a year away. And then it's just going to be like nobody can beat the Jays because uh, they have pitching coming. This lineup is all coming up together at the same time, and it's just stacked. Uh, but I still think we're about a year away from their window truly, you know, being open to to, to competing. Um, 
and and Biggio just it, it, you mentioned you know him, him being he reminds me of Nick Swisher in that way. It was like you knew just close your eyes. Nick Swisher is going to be in a full count every at bat. It's just, it didn't matter. He was going to take a minimum of, of, of six pitches every time Nick Swisher got into the batter's box. So uh, Kevin BJ is a little to that, ex- like that in, in some regard, but I just don't understand how the average doesn't correlate better with all the walks he takes with the, with the, you know, the uh, plus 300 uh, BABIP. Uh, he's never been more than a 250 kind of hitter. Um, He's he's a nice player. I I I think people fall in love sometimes too much with the the young and the unknown and everything like that. Uh, so you know, twenty twenty season is not out of the realm. But I'm not expecting an average higher than two fifty. I would expect the runs and the runs to be somewhere in the eighty range and the RBI somewhere like in the seventy range. So again, you're getting a nice player, but. It's impossible uh, to project this guy, though, right? I mean, everyone looks at it. You look at his O swing, fifteen point eight, which is great. And league average is thirty one point six, but he, like I said, he takes all these pitches and a lot of called third strikes. So of course, he's not swinging at pitches outside of the strike zone. He's not swinging at much at all. Right. So if he does start to swing to, because they're no doubt going to try to make him do it. But by the way, this is what he did in the minor leagues. This isn't something weird he did in the majors. He always did this. So, but yeah, it does make his major league production going forward very hard to judge. Yeah, I, I think of the guys you just mentioned. I think the the bigger caveat is going to be Gavin Lux. And this, listen, I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, I, I love what this kid did in the minors. I've been higher on him than most. Uh, I was ahead of the curve with that, if you will. And you know, now everybody's projecting him to be the next, you know, great LA Dodgers superstar. But I don't think we're there yet. Pump the brakes a little. I, I think you're you're projecting a little too much for this uh, guy right out of the gate. He's risen very quickly. Um, I only seen one player in my lifetime uh, that has responded so well to dramatically rising through levels. And that's Juan Soto, who is now proving to be, you know, just a a different player. So uh, I I would be a little leery with Lux and overindulging or overinvesting. I mean, he's definitely the kind of guy I want in a dynasty league, Uh, but in a redraft league, uh, um, it depends on, who I'm on the clock. Uh, I almost didn't put him in this tier, to be honest, because uh, I think he's going to be probably production-wise closer to Newman on Pittsburgh. But because um, I project him, I think I only project him to go around like that 270, 15 home runs, 10 stolen bases, something reasonable like that. But the reason I kind of put him in this tier is I think there's that ceiling that he could conceivably have that I just gave him a nice, like, you know, a bonus <laughs> bump in tier because of. But I do agree with you. Uh, John, what do you think of these guys? Um, I think that the first two are head and shoulders above Lux. So if we're talking, you know, all things apples to apples as far as price goes, you know, because you're seeing, again, ADPs are very similar. They're within 15 picks. So for me, that means you're choosing of between all of them at the same time. However, Biggio's max pick is in the 150s. Edmund's max pick is 160. And Lux's max pick is closer to 200. So if prices if prices are equal, I think you have to bump Lux all the way back. If you don't have a second baseman, you know, because now we're at like the 15th overall and you're in a 15-team league and you're the guy that doesn't have a second baseman, maybe someone else grabbed two, I think Lux probably represents the last of like the, you know, the guys you could probably hang your hat on to give you every day and really get out there with a nice balance. I don't think he's going to be bad. But when you look at the three of them together, again, Biggio and Edmund, you have to lean towards 
the top two. And then, like you guys very well pointed out, Biggio is kind of hard to get your finger on. I So I would probably lean with Edmund, but he would come with the caveat of, I don't think I would expect as much power as people think they're going to get. You know, the, the batting average, yeah, it looked great at 304, but it was 25 points lower if you're looking at XBA. His X-Slug was 60 points lower than his slug. His X-Woba was 25 points lower than his Woba. So those X-Stats might portend a drop. Um, you know, he Edmund doesn't walk at all, but I do like the 13% K-minus walk. That's pretty good. He doesn't hit the ball in the air enough for a home run hitter that I'm seeing people think he's going to take these power leaps forward. You know, he's only putting the ball in the air 34% of the time. 12.10% home run for fly ball, and his stack case hard hit rate is 32.8, and his fly ball line drive is sub 91. So none of those things are, are really great. Let's mix in a 4% barrel per PA rate, and it's not great, 5.3 barrels per batted ball event. There's, these are not things that would have me projecting forward, you know, an increase. They have me maybe pulling back on a decrease. Listen, it's a roto world right now, and it's an overall cat, you know, an overall competition world. So if you think this guy could get you 30 bags because he gave you 15 and 350 plate appearances with Ozuna out of the way, I think the plate appearances will be regular for Edmund. So I think some averages to be expected. You'll probably get 280 or better, and you might get 30 bags. So depending on your roster construction, I really think he's the way to go. Biggio is – I feel like you're hoping for too much of Biggio. He very well might have the highest upside, and I think Gunther Maetti does, but I don't think it's reliable enough for me at the price. Uh, the one guy we skipped over who was at the top of this tier for me was Eduardo Escobar, which a lot of people are not giving any credit to at all. Last year he batted 269, 35 home runs, 94 runs, 118 RBIs. After a career high of 23 home runs, there's a giant jump. I buy the power completely. There's actually nothing – there that I don't like is his uh, home run to fly ball went up, but he pulled the ball more. He hit the ball harder, but the counting stats are ridiculous. He's not doing that again. 94 runs, 118 RBIs. And the other Where thing can I really, push on you on that, because I'm, I'm not crazy about, I'm really not crazy about the power profile. And it sounds like a, a, a ditto of what I just did. You know, all the X stats are a little bit are, are lower, right? The X slug is uh 50 points lower than his slug. The X wall base 25 points lower. And then when I'm going over into my collection of power stats, uh, again, I'm not crazy about it. And no, I mean, he, I don't think he hits where he did. I don't think 35's necessarily happening in, but I think he can hit 30. Yeah, but this uh, is in a hard of 31 and a half percent. I mean, this is a, a middle infielder, like a true, what you think of a stereotypical middle infielder, not a guy with 35 home runs. Again, the elevated, uh, fly ball line drives only at 91 miles an hour. Really not great. His max MPH was under 107. Um, these are numbers that put you in the bottom third, roughly as far as percentile. And that's of all 450 hitters with 100 plate appearances last year. So we're like including backup catchers and stuff. I, I don't, I don't love it. You know, he's not. You know, he. Well, does, I mean, well, there's a reason he's going this late. <laughs> you yeah, know, no, they, they, I, I will give you that. Uh, and I do like a lot of the counting stats, but I think that's where I got, I'm, I'm not sure I like the power projection that you put out there. You know, I, we usually are in like 100% lockstep though. Well, I mean, I mean, I have him going for like 30, which is a little higher. ATC has him batting 260 with 27. Home runs. So, I mean, twenty six from uh, or twenty five from Steamer, but they only ha they're only giving him uh, for some reason a little more limited at bats. So it's not really that far off. But I think the biggest dip down is the overall counting stats. And I know he's being more aggressive, which is probably leading to why he hit more power. But his last four years, swing and strike rate eight point four, ten point six, eleven point four, twelve. <laughs> uh, o swing thirty five. 
uh, 35, seven, 39, 40.8. So, I mean, I don't like that at all, but, um, I think it's fine enough if you're searching for power late and you can slide a guy like this into a middle infield spot. I think he's interesting enough, even if you're projecting the regression that we probably should be. I think there's not too many guys this late. I mean, who, who after this, I mean, Brandon Lowe, who probably is going to have a lot of it, bad issues. Um, rough net Odor, who's obviously has all sorts of issues. Ryan McMahon also at bad issues. He's, I think one of the kind of the last guys you can really get that 30 home run upside and you can get it in a middle infield spot. So I, I think he's worth it where he's going, even if he doesn't really give you the upside that some of these other guys do. I, I love that. I I like what you said too. It's like the last guy. I mean, if this is your baseline, if this is your floor, uh, he's one of the safer players. And that 35 homers is more indicative of that, you know, range of 10 bump that I said we saw from the from the ball being different in 2019. So uh we, you know, if let's just erase that you go back take those 10 away he's 25 that's right in line with what he's done the last three years that would put him at 23 23 uh 21 23 25 um so yeah he's he's going to be that 25 plus home run and one of one of the better ballparks are hidden humidor or not and what's becoming a dangerous lineup so uh, i think he's eduardo escobar is definitely one of the safe players but he's scheduled to be the third baseman so uh i'm not viewing him on these ranks okay <laughs> uh the last group these are the last group of people that i think should really be considered for most leagues obviously you can go deeper uh but there's people in here that are kind of in any order and at this point it really depends on team construction what you're looking for that's why there's people i'm way more excited about on this list than others but you can't really fit much in between them you got um newman on uh pittsburgh uh brandon Lowe, uh luis Ari arias arias um, you know, I'm probably br brutalizing that. Roughnut Odor, um, Ryan McMahon, Colton Wong, uh, I believe. Oh, Starlin Castro, who I think has a lot of sleeper appeal in that uh, Washington lineup. I'm not alone there. And one person that is going wildly later than everybody. I mean, I just listed all these guys. Uh, for example, Kevin Newman is going way up at 196 in this ADP. Then you got Starlin Castro at 254. Down at 315. Is Jonathan Shope or Scoop or however you want to say that? And I think we talked about we talked about it on the first base show with CJ Crone. Uh, you know, Detroit is not going to be a good team, but Shoop and uh, Crone are going to be kind of leading the charge. And you can get him for nothing. And if we're talking about, um, we were talking about a guy, a guy like Eduardo Escobar. If you really were hurting for power and you want to throw it into a spot like this, I mean, you can't tell me Ruffin or uh, Jonathan Shope can't hit twenty six home runs and kind of bring you that similar style line. So I love him for uh, just the guy at the very end of your draft he's going like really really disrespectful how do you feel about your mets second baseman uh, uh robinson cano yeah um, i probably yeah i probably should have included him in here actually to be honest because he's robinson cano um i think that i think that uh his his time has passed he really could use a dh to come to the national league next year not that i want to see that uh, I think that they moved him way down in the lineup last year. And if he's going to get back in there, that's where all his probably was going to stick. So his run and RBI total takes a pretty big hit. Um, maybe 270, 20 home runs, no stolen bases of any kind. So, yeah, you could throw him in here if you're in a deeper league. But if I'm in a standard 12-team league, I think he's waivers. Okay. I'm just curious because, uh, you know, we know you're a huge Met fan. This is a bat that's always, you know, carried. Uh, obviously, he's a little long in the tooth, but, you know, if he's healthy, he just started getting into a groove. 
with the Mets when then, you know, he, he was getting injured and stuff. So if, if he can maintain a full year of health, I mean, is this a bounce back candidate? And the only reason I ask is because when you look at a guy like Scope and you look at a guy like Cano, if I'm throwing a dart, I personally think I might rather throw the dart on Cano. Um, no, you're I, right. It was an oversight on my part, especially if you're drafting this time of year and you get a chance to look at spring training and make roster changes after that, if you can. Uh, I think you're right. So, I mean, it was definitely an oversight by me leaving him out there. And I do agree with you on your point of if you're throwing darts, you know, why not throw it at a Hall of Fame talent? <laughs> and and uh, listen, I wasn't trying to call you out on it. I mean, one of the guys I'm enamored with, I've been enamored with for a long time, is Jose Peraza. And I think he's going to surprise a lot of people in Boston this year. Uh, I'm not sure how the Mitch Chavis, Moreland. Does Chavis scare you now that they signed Moreland? I yeah. love Peraza, but now that Chavis has moved off first, it kind of scares me off Peraza a little bit. Well, I was just uh, touching on that. I'm not sure how the Moreland uh, signing affects, uh, you know, I think if Peraz, and this has been Peraz's legacy, is that every organization he's in, as soon as you think he's got his shot, something else happens, and all of a sudden he's not the answer. Uh, but this was like an Ozzy Albies light. I mean, he came up in the Atlanta system with Albies, and I thought he got moved because of Albies being there, and they also had Swanson. So uh, where did he go after that? I think he went to L.A. after that, and then I thought, okay, this is going to be the shot. And then you got Seager there, and then they start putting him in the outfield, and then he moves to Cincy, and then I'm thinking that's his shot. And you know, So now he's got second base shortstop and, and center field eligibility, and he still has not had – an opportunity to really display that this is a 30 steals a season guy. This is a 300 plus average. Uh, if you can get him, you know, comfortable and get him at bats, this is a guy that could really surprise. He's still young. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe his opportunities in the Boston outfield, if Mookie Betts is indeed on the move to San Diego, uh, boring what they get back. Maybe if they get, you know, many more go back or something like that, that doesn't happen. But uh, I don't know. Perazzo was somebody I was very excited about kind of in the, in the back end. Um, you look at guys like Nick Madrigal. I know he's going to get a lot of pub because of the name and you know his his draft stock and his college pedigree. But this is really just an average hitter kind of guy. He's not going to give you much more from a. Well, he effort. comes up what at earliest June, and he's going to bat ninth. <laughs> yeah, I mean that this is not you know so so don't fall in love with the name. I mean I think if you're looking towards his back end, somebody like a Colton Wong or uh, you know I mentioned Tommy Listella earlier. Uh, there's not guys. I, I mean. We were talking about the depth of second base versus shortstop, and this is why I said I think shortstop's a little deeper because second base, you're really going like maybe 15 deep, whereas shortstop, you're going like 20, 25 deep. Mm -hmm. One guy I actually want to bring up just because I didn't want to forget him, and then we'll go to John. You can tell us guys you liked on this list or guys we forgot. Isan, Isan Diaz, if I'm saying his name right. I loved him ever since I saw him in the minor leagues. The little dude for the Marlins hits the ball a ton. If you want, look up a video of him hitting the first major league home run against the Mets. His dad's in the crowd going insane, but he has got a ton of raw power. Um, and he's going to get, you know, a lot of at bats for the Marlins who obviously have nowhere else to go. His batting average is going to suck probably this year, but he is really talented. And if you're in a deep, deep league, I could see him giving you a ton of power. The at bats will be there. So it's just a name to look at. But again, this is deep, deep, deep leagues. Uh, but he's just one guy I wanted to at least mention. I don't want to go at the end of the year when he hits like 25 home runs and people are like, who is this guy? You know, I did mention him. I do like Diaz. Yeah, I was going to mention him as well. Uh, you know, being a prospect guy, I've liked Diaz for a while. Being married to a Puerto Rican, I've liked him even more. Uh, so he does represent the island. Uh, lefty bat. It's a power bat. Uh, I, I, He's going to be in the lineup. He's probably going to be at the back end of it. I really do not like this Miami lineup, but, um, but you should have an opportunity. This is a guy that has 30 
home run potential in his bat. I don't know uh, if we ever see it and how soon we see it, but he does have that kind of power. All right, John, take it away. Who do you like here at the uh, the end of drafts in second base? Yeah, I think you know we're at the point where you you need to figure out which of these players you do like because you're you know you're going to need them as a as a middle infielder, right? So they really all kind of come at warts. You mentioned my favorite, Matt. It's actually Stalling Castro, and you know again if you just start stripping away names and ADPs and stuff, I, I think he should be. Man, I see his average is his ADP is like two sixty, and I can't figure out why he's not, you know, sixty picks higher with Low Newman and McMahon. So for me, that's my identified value, and Castro is somebody I been well, no no, no steal potential really. I mean, in my opinion, that's probably what's tick nicking him. Uh, okay, well, I mean, if you want to say it's category based, that's fine because I also have some Newman for that reason. But you know, Low has his problems. You're not really getting it there. Uh, Ryan says his problems you're not getting it there, but again, maybe he's categorically based if you need batting average. Um, like I said, Castro, you know, I was kind of watching closely because again, you know, I'm handicapping all year, so I'm really watching very closely. And, and there was a definitive change in Castro, um, in probably like July, I think it was the front end of July. Maybe I can bring it up real quick. Okay, okay, wait, hold on, it's yeah, it's right here. So from 7 1. This guy was a totally different player, and if you remember, he really had a ton of shine. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. My my apologies. Who's, a, who's on the clock in their mock draft? <laughs> um, <laughs> this guy, you know, had a ton of shine going back years, right, with the Cubs. And we're talking about going to the Yankees, and for a while we thought he was going to follow Derek Jeter. So from 7-1 in just over 330 plate appearances, you know, which is roughly about a half a season, 313, 344, 565 triple slash, 909 OPS, 252 ISO, 373 Woba, 134 WRC plus. That was 17 homers, 46 runs, and 53 runs better than. So 80 games, which is a dead split. Again, beware of the extrapolation, but that's like, you know, 34, 90, and 105, man, in a guy who made one of the biggest context based jumps possible. He went from garbage Miami to defending champion Washington. I mean, if we've seen a true step forward by a guy who we expected this from, from a long time, you could get, you know, I'm not going to say uh, uh, the first overall second baseman, but I don't see why he can't be a top 15 second baseman. And you're getting this guy, you know, incredibly late. You're talking about pick 265 or so. The max pick is near 300 and he's got dual eligibility which is even better, in my opinion, than second and short. Second and third, now you're crossing over CI to MI. There's a really a ton that I like here. So he's the guy really – I'm really highlighting him. I have no problem bumping him up 60 picks. If you do bump him up those 60 picks, you're sure to get him. And for me, that's a lock for MI. I wasn't sure I, I bought the power from him last year, even though we saw we we saw him do it with the Yankees. But he's moving from obviously you said he's moved from Miami to Washington. His BABIP was only like 309, which I believe is typically – Closer to 330, 340 in his career. So the 270 batting average will be a lot higher than we, you know, we typically expect from Castro too. So yeah, I love Castro. I've been a big Castro fan for a while. Uh, he's just boring, though. He's boring from a fantasy aspect. He's going to be 30 this year, but you know what you get with him. 275. Doesn't, doesn't walk too. So he, just points leagues. <laughs> just, I, yeah. I, I, you know what? He's played in two big markets, which I think kind of hurt his appeal a little. Uh, you hear a lot, you know, Cubs fans are very vocal and they, 
did not love Stalin Castro. Um, you know, I I appreciated him in New York with the Yankees. Uh, I'm happy to see him bounce back to you know uh, a decent lineup and you know it's slotting in right now at fifth behind Soto and right in front of another one of my favorite boring guys that's just you know solid for fantasy and that's as Drupal Cabrera who just never seems to get much appreciation of love. But uh, yeah, I have Castro in my top 15 second baseman and that's just second baseman. Um, you know, not counting multi eligible players, but. Uh, uh, you know, Castro's, he's just boring is all it comes down to. So you get um, safety there. There's one more of not this last year in Colorado, LeMahieu, but like what his typical years were when he was like, you know, batting champion, uh, you know, hitting 348 when he was like kind of people weren't really on him in fantasy because he was basically high batting average and not a ton else. Um, I'm not saying I expect that out of this guy, but Luis Arias, again, I'm probably saying his name very wrong. He had 334 last year, not expecting that, but he's very good. I expect 300, 310, three, you know, I mean, I expect 310 around there. This is a guy that drafting now is annoying because they signed Josh Donaldson in Minnesota. You do not know what that lineup is going to look like. Uh, all right. He could bat ninth. He could bat second. That is a huge deal here because he's not going to give you a ton in home runs or stolen bases. He'll give you a handful of each, but his counting stats will be everything, especially runs. So if you're just looking for like a batting average guy who's going to kind of just help in that category late in a draft, I would love him as a super cheap option if you're hurting in that area. But, you know, right now there's a big difference in a guy like that's value if he's batting ninth or batting, you know, first or second there. So How about that discipline on him, man? I mean, he's one of only two or three guys in the league that posted a negative K minus walk percentage. Mm -hmm. He walked 9.8% of the time and only struck out 7.9% of the time. So really impressive. And it helps push him towards, you know, with really no power profile, like you said, you know, it still got him to a 125 WRC plus. So again, you know, I agree with you 100. Towards the top of a lineup, he really could be very dangerous, right? He should. I mean, in my opinion, he should lead off. I think he's going to hit 310 plus. He's fast enough. He's got a 2.8 string swing strike percentage. That's insane. So, but if that's going to happen, I like him. I mean, where would you guys? If let's, let's assume, let's assume he's named as the leadoff hitter. Just assume it yep. uh, of that lineup. Where would he slot in for you if we knew that for sure? Would he move up out of this tier at all for you? Well, let's just factor in also that this isn't like a, a one-time, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Occurrence. Uh, yeah, this this is his profile. This mm -hmm. is you look at his career minor numbers as well. He's got more walks than strikeouts. He's never had a batting average that didn't start with a three, uh, and it's typically more starts with a three and a four. So yeah. this is this is a, a truly you know gifted hitter for, for the audience here real quick this is just out of order but this is batting average as you look on fan fan graphs from the beginning his rookie year or his in rookie ball 348 309 347 385 320 298 342 348 and then 334 in the majors he's good i mean he's good he's good with the bat he's good at putting the bat on the ball he's good at getting on base uh like you said that's pretty much it he's not stealing any bases that's kind of the profile you'd expect for this kind of a of a hitter mm -hmm. you'd expect like a 40 plus steals guy and then he'd he'd be a, an all-star at that point but um he's really just giving you average and nothing more and uh that's why it, i think the difference between batting eight and getting maybe 60 runs and batting leadoff for this Minnesota team and maybe getting 110. That's, I think that would, it's such a huge difference 
for this guy in particular and how you could possibly value him in fantasy for maybe other people wouldn't matter as much, Mm -hmm. but for him, I think it's a night and day thing that maybe takes him from a afterthought to a legitimate person you think about. Well, I think think regardless, I think, man, I'm looking at the lineup here. They are so deep. Yeah. Uh, Good luck. I've seen, I've seen like 30 different iterations of how people think that the lineup is. And, And that's fine. I think it's important to view it in that lens. Almost no matter where he goes, because again, this lineup is ridiculous, man. You know, it, right now he's posted at seventh. Okay, seventh puts him behind Rosario and Garver and in front of Sano and Buxton. If I were to just tell you that in a vacuum, it's hard to put a number on where that would be. Sano is lined up to be like a premier power hitter. So again, in a vacuum, that could be like a number two spot, right? A high on-base guy in front of a tremendous average hitter behind a guy who can hit with Garver and Rosario. I mean, man, even in the ninth spot, just as the guy to turn over the lineup, now you're in front of Kepler, Polanco, and Cruz. I mean, I don't know if there's a spot for him at his on-base clip where I think maybe you're 80. I guess if it's a floor, it's hard to say it's a bad floor, but I think he might be a 92 to 95 guy anywhere in the lineup. See, I mean, it's it's definitely one of oh, there's plenty of people on here. Uh, I mean, people you need to look out for spring training: uh, Ryan McMahon and Garrett Hampson. Uh-huh. Right, as we just said, Brandon Lowe. Obviously, who the hell knows what's going on in Tampa Bay? If Brandon Lowe somehow found his way to everyday at bats at second base, he'd be huge. Um, Tommy Edmond, you know, obviously that is a is a big concern with what St. Louis is going to end up doing. He probably gets close to everyday at bats just because he's versatile and he'll probably move around a little bit. Uh, so there's a lot of names here that uh, you got. Uh, I want to ask Andy a question. Andy, can I ask you a question? No. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> there you go. That was my question. No. So, so you're you're admittedly you're our prospect guy, and you know you follow very closely. I follow your work. What is going on in Colorado? Okay, we're naming players <laughs> that I just I automatically skip over, and it has nothing to do with talent. It has nothing to do with their minor league profiles. It has nothing to do with their major league profiles. But guys like Ryan McMahon and Garrett Hampson. I don't even know if they're going to play. It's insane. I don't know what's going on over there. It makes it incredibly frustrating for me as an analyst. You know, so you having seen these guys, is it just extra frustrating for you having seen all this talent that they seem to bring up only to block? You know, it seems like they only bring up their talent to put guys in their way. Uh, They let bad signings like Desmond. He's going to get the field every single day. Then they add young talent, Hilliard and Tapia. I just, I don't know what's going on there. So am I missing something? Like, am I missing something that maybe these guys are not the complete players they look for, they look like they may be to a guy like me without the experience that you have? Uh, No, I I think there's a a few variables here. I think there's too many lefty bats in this lineup Mm -hmm. uh, just to start. Uh, I think Colorado has been a system that gets overhyped because of what awaits at cores or what we think awaits at cores. When you look at Brendan Rogers, you go back to, to that draft. It was Dansby Swanson, Brendan Rogers and Alex Bregman at the top. And uh, Rogers was considered to be maybe the best of the three. And now you, wow. you look back a few years later and obviously it's Bregman Swanson hasn't really produced to where everybody wants him to, but I still like uh captain, you know, uh, Lieutenant Dan, sorry, not captain, uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Dansby, but, uh, uh, Rogers is, is you know, been is slow. that, hold on, is that really his nickname? It's his, uh, Twitter handle. I think Lieutenant that's Dan. Fan- that's fantastic. So, uh, <laughs> um, 
you know, Rodgers has just not lived up to it yet. And, and, I, and again, I think that's because, you know, he was an exciting one of the top high school prospects coming out at the position. And just, uh, you know, I, I think it's more just we like the hit tool and it was off projections. And then you take those projections, put them in, you know, uh, the shortstop position, which is a glamour position, put that in cores. And all of a sudden, you know, I think people were expecting him to be what Trevor Story has turned out to become. Trevor Story and you know not no, no pun intended has become a great story uh he was somebody that had upside and potential with the power and the steals but not somebody that was looked at to be you know consistent or uh, you know can he give you that average not to be the you know arguably the number one shortstop in the game right now so uh you know i think that's what rogers people had expectations for then you know you start looking for other things I, hampson was okay he's gonna give me steals and he's gonna give me uh, stolen bases and it's just it hasn't you know materialized it hasn't matriculated the way people have expected to and i think a lot of that is just with the cloud of course behind it uh more would so you if you for any of these guys would you pay for any of them i would absolutely pay for garrett hampson i actually do love this dave magadan uh former met rockies hitting coach down the stretch last year he found out or he noticed that um that garrett hampson was using this big ass leg kick and in the minors that work fine, he had high on base, made solid contact. But when you get in the majors and you have all this wicked movement and a lot of speed coming at you, you can't afford to waste any time. So he forced him to change from a leg kick to just a toe tap. Um, and he did that at the end of August. The very first game he implemented that, he hit the first uh, ball off Michael Walker into the stand, which isn't that huge of a, you know, an achievement. <laughs> but uh, in September, he batted 318 with a 360 on base, 534 slugging. Five home runs, six stolen bases, 378 weighted on base, 119 runs created, plus 216 ISO. Before that, we're talking about a 10th run pick in 15 teamers for a guy who's not in the starting lineup. No, that's the thing. With with the health and every with the health of like Daniel Murphy, this is something you got to pay attention to in spring training. But I would think at this point, with all the crap going on with Arenado, maybe their GM loses his job because of it. I think he gets every at bats. They're they're going to try to put him in the outfield if they move McMahon to first instead of Murphy if he gets injured or otherwise that'll open up second base for him um if you I mean if you just take what he did after he made that adjustment not that you're expecting this that's 43 home runs and 60 stolen bases which is not going to happen the whole thing with him is it bats but I think his upside with what we saw after the adjustment was so intriguing where I'm willing to take a gamble it it's it's team construction dependent you know, you got to be able to have a team you're comfortable with to take that gamble. But he's exciting enough for me where I'll take that shot. You know, I mean, you got to do it now because once he's named into the starting lineup, I can't imagine where his ADP will go. He crushed it in the spring training the last year and see what happened. So did McMahon. So it's, you know, obviously it was a confusing situation. But I do like – I do like it. But, the, but that's, part of, that's part of the problem. He hasn't made – to this point, maybe like you said, maybe that second half with the adjustments, he's finally going to adjust. But he's gotten a, a decent number of the bats at the major league level. Has not lived up to the average that he displayed, you know, in coming up the ranks. And neither has that speed, which you know could be a result of not being on base, of course. But uh, <laughs> you know, you're looking for a 300 hitter with 40 plus stolen bases. That's what you know. That's where the hype and the intrigue was. What was Gam uh, Garrett Hampson last year? Wasn't he going like in the top five rounds, or am I am I missing? No, he this? he was a little later than that. But yeah, and there was tons of hype around him. But the right. thing is, this year, I mean, he's going like 160, 163. The next guy off the board's Kevin Newman, Ryan McMahon, Brandon Lowe. I mean, at that point, if you missed on everybody, we I think we said Gavin Lux is probably the last guy you can be 
super comfortable with. I think Kevin Newman I'd be comfortable enough with. But I think at that point in the draft, I'd be pretty okay with taking Hampson if I was set in other ways and I could maybe use the gamble on a, on a guy. I, I could see it. I mean, Newman's 30 picks later and plays every day. Lowe is 60 picks later and is going to play every day. Wong is I, don't, I don't think Lowe will play every day. Well, I think yeah, I think Lowe, Lowe is one of the few guys in Tampa that I think is going to play every day. And I think when he was healthy, he did play every day. I think um, if he does, he gets 30 home runs. I do love him, but I, Tampa Bay is a nightmare. So it's similar to Colorado. <laughs> I just have trouble making my 10th or 11th I man on my roster. You know, which, I don't think he's going to play every day either. Well, I, and again, I'm, 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 I'm not going to really plant the flag arguing how I understand the Tampa Bay playing time situation. So I'll, I'll back up a little <laughs> bit. you make a lot of money if you do, though. I think he will. But the Rockies, if anybody's more confusing than the Rays, it's the Rockies. So given that, and a guy who's not even projected in the lineup, I, I just I have such a hard time wrapping my my mind around the pricing here that I, I, I hate to do it to people, but I feel like if you're taking Hampson at 160, especially near his min at 150, I think you're really wasting a 10th round pick. Could be. I said, I mean, it's completely dependent on team construction for me. You get, I get, I have to look at the rest of my team and be like, who do I like around here? Do I want to take the gamble? Um, they said if he once he's named to the starting lineup, if that happens, I mean it's kind of over. I mean, where does yeah, he if he's named to the starting lineup in spring training, whether there's an injury or a trade or whatever? Um, I mean, where where does he jump up to? I mean, I could see Wait, him, I think he skips over Gavin Lux. I think you know what? I think he skips over Mike Moustakis and Jeff Ooh, McNeil. Uh, I think okay, I like where you're going because that's yeah. bold. But now we were really talking about a category based, a true category based argument with the two players. So I would definitely, I, I'll agree with you. And I think then if you have steals, I take Moustakis. If I need steals, I'm going to go hands. All right, uh, that pretty much wraps up. Did we? Is there anyone we forgot? Um, there we had a couple. Actually, we had a couple of questions. Uh, we we talked about these players already, but we maybe didn't dive into these. Uh, Damian on Twitter wanted to know: Is it is out? Is is Ozzy Albie's the number one second baseman in Dynasty? Uh, I will go ahead and let uh, Andy take this away because I know you are the leader of the Ozzy Albie's fan club. Yeah, he's mine for sure. Uh, I just wasn't expecting the power to you know be present and uh, not expecting huge power or you know out of that bat but i do expect close to a 300 hitter i do think he'll get the speed back up and be in the 30 plus range i do think he'll be you know challenging to lead the league in that Braves lineup as it moves forward and runs scored uh, i do think he can knock in um you know in that uh 100 RBI range. Uh, to me, this is a five-category contributor. So, yes, I do have him at the top. Uh, I think you could be looking at something as his upside of his ceiling as that magical Jacoby Ellsbury year when he just basically, like, maybe turned in the greatest season in history uh, at the top of the Red Sox order. So uh, I do love Albies. Uh, I think he's number one in dynasty just for what the upside potential lineup, uh, what his future projects to be age, everything like that. I uh, I have Keston here as my number one, but it's like razor thin. And most people would probably agree with you. And we've seen Ozzy Albies do it in the majors. We obviously saw Keston do it last year. He has a huge strikeout problem, 
but God, does he hit the ball hard? He's a very good hitter. I, I when I imagine ceiling, if I'm in a dynasty startup and I'm picking between the two, I'm going here, but that's a personal preference thing only. I just, I like what I see when I watch him, but I love Albies too. I mean, it's, it's not even a one and two, it's a one, a one B it's a one, one, it's a one, a, a B, you know I mean? I like yeah. them both. Can, can I add? Can I add one thing to that too, though? Uh, yeah. I mentioned the lineup and just how exciting Atlanta is, just with all the prospects they have, how young the team is. I mentioned Acuna before. Uh, you know, playing that psychological off-you know-field narrative that I, I like to try to dig deeper into. I, I really think that going forward, the next five plus years, a guy like Albies and, and Acuna in the same lineup uh, could really, you know, just challenge each other. You know, did you see what I did in that at bat? Okay, well, I'm going to one-up you. And that becomes fun when you're talking about the type of talent these two possess where, you know, I think they use that to push each other in a positive direction where it helps, it benefits both of them. So for those, you know, that's another reason I look at Albies is this is my guy. Yep. Uh, the other question, before going to John, you can answer both of these. So the other question was actually Keston here. What are your thoughts on his ceiling? MVP candidate. That's what I think his ceiling is, but that's obviously projecting well into the future. Let's see what he does in his sophomore season. He has a very big strikeout problem, so we can't go anywhere there. But as far as ceiling, uh, you know, uh, him and Albies are like really special players. Their ceiling is the ceiling. You know, it's it's up there. Uh, so I love them both. John, you have thoughts on these two guys? Well, I think right now it's it's Albies, regardless of format. Um, you know, he are, uh, kind of takes a ding in points leagues, especially if you're being penalized for strikeouts. And granted, you know, a lot of times you think point league is uh, related to on-base percentage, which he was very good at. It's very rare you're going to see a near 370 on-base percentage with a plus 30 strikeout rate, which goes to show you just how really hard he's hitting to be really. He just – he is a contact maniac. But I, I would go Albies. I think he's more balanced. I think he has a little more experience. I like the front end of that lineup a little bit better. So Albies, it's for me, surely. To go back to what you were saying before, there's anybody else that I think we may um, have left out there's just one, and it kind of sounds a little bit like the uh, Hampson arguing because we're unsure of playing time, but there is prospect shine, and a lot of people like him, and it's on a good team. And I'm referring to the, the Oakland Athletic infield. You know, there's kind of a question mark as far as playing time goes. And, man, I'll tell you, I really have done some due diligence picking and trying to look at news reports and beat writers and uh, prospect guys. No one – seems to be able to nail down where that infield spot is going to go. Roster Resource has awarded the second-base job to, I think, the last guy who's going to get it, which is Tony Kemp. I think they just put him in because he's really one of only – you know, the only other lefty in that lineup is Matt Olson. So I guess it's possible Kemp is a better time of a split, but the guy I'm getting to is Franken Barreto, I think, has been widely overlooked. I mean, he's, he's essentially forgotten at this point. His ADP is plus 500. And, you know, there's a guy who a lot of people liked, including myself. We were hoping for, you know, maybe an appearance by him the last year or two. I think he made a play. Yeah, he's played a bit. I mean, but under 60 plate appearances, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give anything. He struck out way too much. But, again, I'm not going to put anything into such a short sample. And uh, that's a guy, especially if you want to – if you're late in these drafts, five, 600 picks, you could package him with, like, Mateo and maybe even Sheldon Nussi and – Get some really impactful at bats uh, late in in draft. So if you're really drafting late, we didn't go deep, deep, deep past 500. That's a guy I have circled past 500. 
I, I like Barreto, and he was a high-end shortstop prospect uh, for a while. Um, he just hasn't really progressed to you know what you're hoping. He's kind of showed it at AAA, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him break out and find it because he's still young enough. It's just going to be 24, and he's got the tools to be an impactful right. you know kind of bat in the middle of the order. And Oakland has this propensity for taking guys and just you know taking them and making them into their career best and maxing out everything they can get out of guys. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Barreto, but I'm not banking on it. I think Chad Pinder is still very much uh, somebody that's going to get more bats yeah. than we expect to in that Oakland lineup. If we're talking about somebody that's kind of deep in the, in the darkness uh, that nobody's really talking about mired in obscurity across the Bay in San Francisco, you got Mauricio Dubon, who is a cast off of uh, all of Milwaukee had up the middle. Uh, he's somebody, you know, I think he originally started out in Boston, wound up in Milwaukee. Now he's, uh, uh, in San Fran, it looks like the uh, opening day starter there. So uh, I would say he's somebody that you might want to keep a glimpse on what's going on with him in spring training because he's another guy that can kind of give you that little 15-15 in the middle uh, cushion. Um, That's a good one, Andy. The, um, before, we, before we end the show, I love the Dubon pick, by the way. Going back yep. to Oakland for a second, one thing that people are overlooking, which sometimes I don't really – I don't look into contract situations too much when it comes to fantasy, but sometimes it really matters. In this case, I think it could really matter. Marcus Simeon's going to be a free agent next year, and they're probably not bringing him back. It's the Oakland A's. They're, they're kind of the guys of the future for them, theoretically, could be Barreto and Mateo, who have no options left, neither of them. I don't think they want to release them because they will lose them both on waivers. Mateo, obviously the more likely of the two to be released, but he will be lost on waivers in my opinion. So even though maybe other guys uh, will maybe be more deserving of the job, I think you'll find that Barreto and Mateo will be given a lot more leeway to make this team because of that. Um, so it's just something to kind of understand in this whole situation for everybody if you're really banking in deep leagues. Um, definitely Barreto, but Mateo, even though he seems like maybe the obvious guy to be the odd man out with no options left and the ability to lose him with them needing to replace Simeon next year, it's, it's something to at least, uh, consider. Yeah. All that, right. that Kemp edition killed me. I don't, I didn't understand that at all. Like I said, I mentioned the left-handed bat, but I, I mean, it really doesn't matter what side of the plate the guy hits from if he's going to bat 190, you know? Yeah, they're trying to win that division. They're going to put the guy that in the lineup that they think is going <laughs> to help them win regardless of side of the plate. Uh, so, anyone, thank you for listening to the second base breakdown. I think we covered just about everybody. Uh, if you have any other further questions of guys that you wanted to get into further, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at uh, turn Two podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Williams, M A T T W I seven, seven I M S Andy, where can they chase you down and ask you about your rankings? We'll post your rankings um, on the show notes and under the, uh, the post on Twitter. If anyone wants to check out your second base rankings too. Yeah, so I'm posting all these episodes on Expand the Box Score as well, as well as uh, threads to uh, links to Matt's threads. Um, anything John wants to give me, I'll be happy to post on Expand the Box Score as well. well uh, list to my rankings on Fantasy Pros are up there. And uh, as of today, I started going into my positional rankings, which I'll be uh, posting on Expand the Box Score as well. Uh, as I mentioned, it's just going to be who the projected starters are. I'm not getting into, uh, the, I'm not get chasing the the uh, the rabbit hole to go into 
multi-eligibility stuff, but you'll have access to every player. Uh, I do want to ask the audience, though. We've noticed an uptick in the listen, so I'm guessing that you are enjoying these episodes and liking what we're doing and presenting to you guys. So I'm looking at this one in particular. We've teased the second base episode for a while. This one's going about uh, an hour and 20-minute range. Is this too long? Do you want us to shorten these up, or do you enjoy just the uh, the, the – what we're giving you and just go until we're done. Uh, I will mention also that uh, somebody who's become a friend in this industry, maybe the most uh, biggest well-known name in international free agency and, and prospects is Ben Badler from Baseball America. He's going to be joining us next week as a guest. So uh, if you have any prospect questions, make sure to you know let Matt know via Twitter and uh, we'll make sure to ask Ben those as well. Uh, People's Pen on Twitter, People's with the Z. That's where you know I link everything that I'm associated with so that's just the easiest place to come and find me all right where can they chase you down john all right my home base is on the twitter machine at mlb moving averages um andy brings up a great point you know we want to hear back from people um i hope you like it um you know just keep up with the work we're doing i have found i'm always digging so deep so that's where my favorite questions are coming from you know if you have questions about that 400 adp or after I love it because it's very difficult to pull every thread on every player. So I really enjoy when listeners and followers bring up something to, you know, maybe focus the search a little bit. So feel free to really push back on anything or everything I've said uh, on the Twitter machine. Thanks, Matt. All right. Maybe I should just split this into two episodes. Not going to put it up as one. I will do my best to timestamp this for everybody. Uh, but, you know, by the time you get to this explanation of that, you have already been through the episode. So uh, we will be doing that for your benefit regardless. Thank you for listening to the Turn Tube podcast. And we will see you uh, our next show for our prospect breakdown. Uh, see you, everybody. My, oh, my. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play fantasy. I know I turned two in a day, but the lace isn't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The X-Fippin' Whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words? I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it into points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two Turn two What it do? Win leaps Catch out Catch out